Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the No Fluff, actionable marketing podcast for marketers, marketing consultants, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn how to build a content strategy from scratch and attract the right type of visitors. My guest today was behind the launch and the success of the Groove blog. You might have read it. It's, you know, this startup journey from zero to $100,000 that they launched, that this company launched using their blog, sharing stuff really transparently. I'm a big fan of their blog. Turns out that this blog generated $300,000 in monthly recurring revenue alone for the company. So my guess knows how to build a content uh, strategy that actually works. So over the last 15 years, he's worked as a content marketing strategist and CMO for Jet.com, Groove, as I mentioned, Groupon or Headline, and he's now the CMO, uh, the Chief Marketing Officer at Podia, which is a platform to sell digital courses, amongst other things. So Len Markiden, welcome. Thank you so much, Lily. I'm uh, excited to be here. So in this podcast, I'd like to talk about, you know, timeless foundational marketing. I like to talk about customer research and storytelling and, you know, persuasion and psychology, because I believe that this is what will never change, you know, in marketing. And then you can talk about tactics and the latest AdWords feature release, but really, is it really going to bring long-term growth to you and your, and your business? Not really. So content marketing, you could argue that actually just a fade, it's just something that happens. And then in the future, it's going to stop. It's not a timeless tactic, but I believe the opposite. I wanted to know before I get started, like, what do you think of, of, of this concept? Like, do you think content is here to stay? Yes, no, what do you think? I love that question because it's something I hear a lot when I talk about content marketing is how content marketing is, you know, it was cool when HubSpot did it and then you know, some companies are doing it now super well, but it's fading and it's gonna, it's gonna, gonna fade, in, fade out of existence. And the reality is content marketing is not, new by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, one of my absolute favorite stories is in the 1880s, there was a, uh, a couple of brothers and a, and a father. Uh, they were the, the Johnson family. And they started a company called Johnson & Johnson. And they sold medical gauze and bandages. And they were having a lot of trouble making sales. Nobody wanted to buy it. Uh, and the reason that nobody wanted to buy it was in the 1880s, there didn't seem to be a problem with infections and making sure that wounds stayed you know, clean and closed. Doctors didn't believe that this was an issue. Doctors didn't believe that it was dangerous to, uh, to not have, uh, to, to, uh, to have you know, germs in the air and germs touching wounds. And so what the Johnson brothers did, they went to a guy named Joseph Lister, who was doing some really interesting research over on the other side of the pond. And he was finding that Actually, patients were dying all the time from infections that they would get on the operating table because doctors weren't washing their hands. They weren't uh, taking precautions to keep, keep wounds clean. And they essentially interviewed 50 physicians around the world and put together a book called, uh, it was called something like the, the Future of Antiseptic Medicine. And this was essentially the world's first roundup post. <laughs> and they published it. And three years later, they were selling 3 million yards of gauze every single year because they led the market to see the world the way that they saw it. Content marketing has been around forever and it's going to continue to be around forever. It'll look different, sure, but it's not going away. 
Uh, another example I love to give, by the way, a great example. I've never heard of this story before. A fantastic example for, for this question. I think the Bible is pretty good as an example for content marketing. Mm -hmm. Sure. Another one that I love to talk about because it's in my hometown, uh, Clermont-Ferrand in France. Uh, that's where the Michelin tires came from, right? And you're aware mm -hmm. that when Michelin started in the 19th century, end of the 19th century, uh, they were selling tires to cyclists, you know, and, um, they found a great way to make people use their tires more and therefore uh, buy more of their tires and build trust uh, by just giving them a guide on where to go next, uh, what restaurant to go to and all of that. And so this is why, as of still today, we have the Michelin guide and the Michelin stars and all of that. That came from this piece of, piece of content. Before we dive into the actionability and the specificity of what you've done and how to build a content strategy from scratch and, and all of that, let me ask you another one. Why do you think content is here to stay? Like if we go one step further into the psychology of people, why do you think writing content or publishing content like a podcast actually works for business? Why is it so great for, for the brains uh, of the humans uh, reading our stuff? I think it's great because the chance that no matter what you sell. So for example, at Podia, we sell software for online courses. The chance that when you first come across our brand, And at that very same moment, you are ready to buy a product that's going to help you create and sell your online courses. It's actually very low unless we have really, really highly targeted uh, advertising or marketing at the very bottom of the funnel. But that market's very, very small, right? The number of people who are willing to buy at this moment is very small. However, the number of people who will get to a point where they need to buy your product in the next year, two years, three years is extraordinarily high, right? That market is so much more massive. But how can you ensure that when that person is ready for your product, they know where to find you? They know uh, that you are the brand that they should be going to with their business. Well, the way that you do that is by delivering value to them before they need you, by teaching them something, by solving a problem for them. Um, that's where I think really, really great content uh, Is, incredibly, is an incredibly valuable asset for businesses that is going to just continue gaining value as, uh, as their content you know, sits, on, sits on their blog, sits on their podcast, sits on their uh, YouTube channel. Um, the more people that you can help down the line, the more people that get to a point where they're going to need your product and they think, oh yeah, I remember that article I read from Louis. Uh, I should go check out Hotjar. I should go check out his podcast. Um, that's, that's why content is here to stay. Yeah, I agree with you. And this is why I like to talk about content on this podcast, because I, I definitely feel this is one of the timeless foundation of marketing that are not here to go away. Yes, channels might change, format might change, but the core principles behind them are not going uh, to change anytime soon, because humans are, are not going to change in the next few years, all of a sudden. Now, let's go back to the actionability and the actual step-by-step uh, -step kind of scenario we can have together. When you join Groove, so Groove is a uh, customer support software, a bit less than Indesk, right? You joined yeah. and you managed to turn their blog into a kind of a severity in the world, really. I mean, I, I used to read it. I couldn't care less about customer support. I still don't because the transparency you had was really something. And it generated, you said, uh, $300,000 in, in monthly recurring revenue on its own. Like that was directly responsible. So let's Reverse engineer this. Perhaps you've, you've done that in the past with other companies. So you might reverse engineer their process as well that you've used. But if someone is asking you, okay, I understand that content is important. I understand I need to do something about it. Where the fuck do I start? Right. What should I do? 
Sure. Well, I think we can probably start from where we were doing things wrong. That's probably where a lot of people are sitting today. And, and, and this is where we were at Groove for, for quite some time in the very early days. We saw companies like HubSpot and Unbounce and Kissmetrics that were doing extraordinarily well with their content marketing. They were building these brands around content marketing and they were getting customers and they were uh, clearly growing. And so we thought, okay, content marketing, that's what we need to do. We have to do some content marketing. And so we started publishing articles like 10 reasons you should use Groove for your help desk. Uh, you know, uh, um, five features you'll love about Groove's new interface. Uh, you know, like crap, like total crap that nobody wants to read. And where we screwed up there, when we looked around and we saw nobody was reading our content, nobody was engaging with our content, and then we started reaching out to these companies. And we reached out to Dharmesh at HubSpot and Heat and Nick Kissmetrics and all these people that were actually surprisingly very willing to talk to us. <laughs> and we thought, you know, what is it that they're doing that we're not doing? Well, what we realized was that their success was actually 90, 95% under the surface. It was stuff that we couldn't see. It wasn't the blog. It wasn't the fact that they were blogging. It wasn't like checking a box. Oh, they were blogging. They were doing content marketing. It was actually that hard work they were doing behind the scenes of talking to their customers, understanding the pain points, understanding the problems that they needed to solve with content. And that's what we went back to at Groove as we started talking to our customers and we asked them, hey, what are the different problems that you're facing in your business? What can we solve for you? Like, what are the thorns in your side? And what we realized that at that point was that very few people actually cared about customer service. Very few founders, very few entrepreneurs cared very much about customer service. They didn't lay awake at night thinking about, oh, how do I do customer service better? Um, you know, kind of like you said, Louis, you don't really care about customer service. It's not like it's not something that is typically a burning pain for a founder. We were trying to get founders to use our product. What we found out instead was that what people struggled with was actually very much what we were struggling with as a company, as an early stage startup. Things like growth, marketing, uh, sales, operations, hiring, uh, figuring out how to build a business from, uh, from the ground up. And that's when we thought, okay, if these are the problems that people keep coming back to, keep talking about, keep telling us are the key problems in their lives and in their businesses, why don't we just write about that? If our goal is to get people, is to get, is to get our brand in front of people, why don't we just write about the problems that we know people have and that we know that we're having? So we're going to create the blog that we wish already existed, the one that's going to you know, tell people exactly what this journey looks like from the inside, uh, the good parts, the bad parts, the really, really bad parts, the lessons that we learned from all of that, and just kind of an honest look at what the growth of an early stage company looks like. Um, so that's how the that's how the the Groove blog concept came about. Ultimately, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of story we can tell there, but really the key part of it is we figured out what our customers wanted to have solved for them, and that's what we started with. Yeah, so there's no secret there, and I, I think this is something that has been mentioned so many times in this podcast, and I'm going to repeat it until I fucking die at this stage. Is that <laughs> At the end of the day, every single marketing activity, every strategy starts with the customer, right? You just start with the customer and then expand. It's not about growth hacks that are geared towards copying your competitors. It's not about anything else. The source of good marketing always comes from your customer. So I'm glad you're mentioning that. The other thing that was quite unique 
and I discovered unique about Groove was their transparency, right? So that was part of the values that they, that they had, which was their willingness to share shit that most people would never share. So I'm going to ask you a very leading question, but do you think the intersection of what customer wanted and this core value of transparency was actually the, this recipe that made it even better? I think that the, I think that's a great question. I think that what made it work was that we had this obsessiveness with customer centricity and we coupled it with something very unique. I think you could replace transparency with something else that's very unique that gives people a reason to come back because after, basically after we launched that blog, a lot of companies came out and launched quote unquote transparent blogs, you know, our journey to whatever, uh, whatever the outcome we want is. And they didn't do as well. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And the biggest reason for that is, you know, you are never going to be great simply by copying somebody else. Like you will never be a better Groove than Groove. You will never be a better Louis than Louis. You will never be a better HubSpot than HubSpot. Um, so I think for us, transparency was the right fit. We were in a place where we were making almost no money. So we had nothing to lose. And we, and we were in a, in a unique position where many of our customers were in the exact same stage as we are. Many of them were also very, very early stage startups. Uh, and so that worked really, really well for us. Um, so that kind of version of the recipe worked for us. But I think the key there is just making it something really unique that gives people a reason to keep coming back. Okay, so now let's go into how to do it. So as you said, I think it's the right point. It, if you're listening to this, it's not only going to be valuable if you're only starting from scratch. It's also probably very valuable to listen to this if you have content going on, content marketing strategy, some resources behind it, and it's not necessarily working or you're not super happy with this, right? So let's take that scenario. What do you advise people to start doing? Like, so you started mentioning customers interviewing. Is it the first step to actually talk to customers or is there something else before that? If you have customers, I would just talk to customers and I would ask them questions like, Hey, you know, what are you struggling with today? What's on your mind? You know, really, really open-ended questions about the space that you're in and then try and really go deep on what problems they start to identify. So what are you struggling with? Okay, well, uh, we're really struggling with hiring. You know, a customer might have said to us, oh, interesting. Okay, what do you, you know, what, do you, what specifically are you struggling with with hiring? Oh, uh, you know, like we've been trying to hire this, you know, VP of marketing for a really long time. We haven't been really successful. Um, oh, okay, interesting. Tell me more about that. What have you, what have you tried that hasn't worked for you? Um, oh, well, you know, we've gone to these job boards, X, Y, and Z, and then we've, uh, you know, we've, we've reached out to our network. Um, it just doesn't seem like we're, uh, we're, we're, we're doing, uh, we're getting anywhere with it. Oh, okay. Um, interesting. Well, what, uh, what are you thinking in terms of next steps? Like what would, what would actually, what would, what would accomplishing this help you to achieve? Um, and, and so on and so on and so on and really understanding not only the problem, but the words that the customers use when they describe the problem, the, the sentiment that they have around the problem, because that's all going to inform the content. After that, when you come back from those conversations with pages and pages of notes, frankly, a lot of the content ends up writing itself because you can set up the problem. You can set up the, uh, the promise for what can be achieved if you actually solve this problem. And then for us specifically, I mean, this is unique to the group blog, but for us, then we have to talk about our own experience with the problem and we have to solve the problem for people. Um, so we go from customer interview to testing and action where we're creating essentially the, the, 
the, you know, the meat of the article. Then we go to writing and then we go to publication. And then we go to promotion, which is a uh, side of this coin that is as large as everything that came before it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, so let's go back to the interview first. We've talked about interviewing mm -hmm. a lot on this podcast, but I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on this. How do you reach out to customers? A lot of people would think, oh, but no one wants to talk about this. Like no one will answer my email. Uh, oh, it's a time suck to actually interview customers. What do you say to this? It's time consuming, but I don't think there's a better use of your time. You, when you spend time talking to your customers, you will get insights that aren't just useful for your blog, that aren't just useful for your content marketing. You are going to get insights that can profoundly change the product that you're building, that can profoundly change your overall marketing strategy. Um, in terms of actually getting people to talk, I, I've always been surprised at, I guess, I'm not surprised about it anymore, but I was always surprised at how willing people were to talk about what they're struggling with. When it's something that they're struggling with and they really want solved, And that's the key is that they have to really want this problem to be solved. We all have those kind of annoying problems in our lives that we're like, yeah, that sucks, but eh, I'm not going to do anything about that. Those are the problems you really want to stay away from solving because if people aren't motivated to solve the problem, they're not going to be that interested in your blog. But when you find problems that people actually think about all the time and need solved, that's when you can get people talking. That's when you can get people excited to talk to you. Um, and so, you know, tactically, The more people you email, you know, the more people in your customer base you email, the more you'll likely get to talk to you. Um, you know, some people do, uh, some people do giveaways and things like that. But frankly, we just always had a lot of success saying, Hey, we'd love to chat for you know, 10 to 15 minutes. I'd love to just learn a little bit about, um, you know, the, the challenges that you're having in your business. There will not be a pitch during this call. Uh, I just want to learn more about how we can create things that solve problems for you. Yeah, people, people love to be seen as experts and they love to talk about their problems. Mm -hmm. They treat you as their therapist for a while and you, you just have normal fucking yes. conversations with people, right? Like you go in a bar, you meet someone randomly, you're like, oh, you work in the same industry. How would you talk to this person? Well, you need to talk the same way than you would in this situation when you have customer interviews. So record those conversations, right? Um, ask them their consent, obviously, depending on the country you're in, mm -hmm. record the conversation, get it transcribed so you don't need to take a lot of notes and reread those transcripts. Now, I mean, obviously it's a, a bit of a simplified version, but like in Podia and in other companies that you work with in the past, um, how do you then translate that into a strategy, a direction that your CEO understand, that your colleagues understand, that your team member understand saying, this is what we're going to write about. What is the, the in between here? Sure. So the biggest thing that we do at this point, when we have all of these transcripts, we have all of these notes, is we go through and we look for a couple of different things. The two biggest things that we're looking at are commonalities across all these different interviews. So what are the things that people keep repeating? So we're looking for, you know, width, basically, like how many people, how many people are talking about this? And then we're looking for depth. What are the topics that even if there are fewer people that talk about them, where people's you know, inflection really goes up, where people get really excited or really upset or really fired up about. Because those problems, even if there are fewer people talking about them, if you solve those problems for people, those are going to be the ones that people will thank you, will, will be in your debt forever for. Um, from there, we'll essentially come up with a strategy. We'll say, all right, well, so the key problems for us are people find it 
really, really intimidating to create an online course from scratch. They don't have any, you know, they, they don't have their content yet. And for them, the just starting on this big project, they're not project managers. They're not, um, you know, they're not people who typically take on these massive, massive projects with all these moving parts. They're intimidated by that. And they're intimidated by the tech. They're intimidated by having to figure out how all the technology works for it. So how can we take those problems and create a strategy that solves both of those things? Um, and for us, that means our blog, where we try and solve both of those problems for people, um, our webinars, where we do walkthroughs and, and demos and get people to uh, get people to see how easy it can actually be that goes to being live, you know, do, doing, uh, doing events and doing all sorts of other, all sorts of other marketing channels. But essentially from those interviews, what we pull is that our strategy for marketing is making people's lives easier when it comes to creating the content and hosting the content. So in tactical terms, in practical terms, you would like, I don't know, have a spreadsheet or a trailer board or whatever else you want, like an air table, whatever the fuck. And you have all the trans, all of those transcripts and you select you basically read through them and you identify all of those things, the problems that people mention. So you would write them down and then let's say you, you come across this problem again on another transcript, you add another number next to it in the Excel spreadsheet. So you know, okay, this is how many times this problem has been mentioned, right? So that gives you the commonality, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I'm actually, I'm not cool enough to be on like Airtable or Notion. So what I do is I actually will take all of our transcripts and, and print them out. And I'm usually sitting in a booth at the coffee shop with like three or 400 pages of these, of these customer transcripts and a pen and uh, just a bunch of blank paper. And I'm circling things and writing things. A lot of people think of this process as being like really, really like smooth and like laboratory like where everything is really, really like systematized and smooth. But really, it just I look like. I'm sure I look like a freaking disaster when I'm um, like going through all of these pages and just scribbling notes everywhere and trying to make sense of it all. It's a very messy, messy process. But ultimately, yeah, what we'll end up with is a spreadsheet, a you know, Google Doc or a paper doc or something that has all those commonalities. And then essentially, it's just whittling down from there. And that's really, I think, the key difference of a customer-driven marketing strategy versus a non-customer-driven marketing strategy is when you have when you have all these interviews to start with, you need, you're basically trying to reduce things down to find the best strategy rather than starting from scratch and trying to build something out of thin air. Yeah, I'm glad you're mentioning this. I'm very much the same. My desk is full of paper and I love reading it, like, you know, physically speaking and take pen and just circling things out. So I'm glad you mentioned that. So that's for the commonalities, like how common a problem is. But then you have the pain, right? Like you have this those words that people use or this feeling you have in an interview, you can look at the body language sometimes and feel like they're so fired up. They get closer to the screen or they, they start shouting, they start cursing, they start feeling, you can feel that when you see them. And again, you can't replace that feeling with SEO research only, or just by copying a competitor. You need to see in their eye, you need to look uh, how they behave because that's going to stick in your mind. That usually is a good indicator of the pain. So how do you then, Apart from that, looking at people, making notes on that, how, what type of words do you like to look at that tells you this is painful? This is something that is like really sore for people. So for me, the things that really indicate pain are things that people tell me they have gone through a lot of trouble to solve already unsuccessfully. 
So things like I've read books on this topic, I've read articles, we've hired consultants on this, we've hired, you know, outsourced firms, we have hired full-time employees to solve this problem and it's still not solved. Um, I've taken online courses on this and it's still not solved. Um, that effort that people exert to solve the problem to me is one of the biggest indicators that you're onto something because people are motivated to solve that problem, which means that it's probably a pretty big problem and solving it would mean something valuable to them. Um, so that, and then beyond that, a lot of it is, you know, like you said, Louis, I think one of the, one of the really important things here in these customer conversations is that you're not, you, you're talking to somebody like you'd be talking to them in a bar, right? Like you're not having, you, you're not being robotic and saying, oh, please tell me about your pain points. Um, it's, it, it's, it's a very, it's a casual conversation. And in those conversations, when you're talking to friends, you can pick up when people get animated. You can pick up with people when people get really fired up or excited or upset or engaged about a topic. And so a lot of it is not even necessarily the specific words that they use for me. A lot of it is just seeing when people start to get when people start to get fired up. That's when I make a note and say, okay, come back to this point. Come back to this when I see the transcript. This is something that means a lot. Yeah, makes total sense. So then once you have a good idea of the commas, the most common problems how painful they are, I suppose you prioritize them, right? You have a list of, these are the top one we need to focus on next, yeah? Exactly, yeah. We basically make a list of, of the problems that we need to solve, and that's where we go into the next stages of actually producing the content. So you, you mentioned a good example. You said people struggle uh, with setting their first course online, something mm -hmm. like that. So that, you know, that's a pain. You know, people have gone to great lengths to solve it. You know, it's, it's, it's common. Now that's a big, big topic, right? So how do you translate this problem into content that makes sense, like into blog posts, webinars, whatever else you mentioned? Sure. So the, essentially, this is, I think where a lot of people get tripped up with, okay, I have this problem and now I'm going to solve it with a piece of content. The reality is it's rarely one piece of content that solves a problem for your market. It's going to be, you know, one problem is enough to, to fuel many, 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 many pieces of content, especially for something as big as how to create your first online course. And so for us, we've solved it or we've, we've started to try to solve it in a number of different ways. Uh, the first was we created, you know, the, the 12,000 word guide to creating an online course. Um, we did that with uh, essentially taking these customers interviews, seeing what these pain points were. And then we did some SEO research on top of that to learn, kind of to fill the gaps between the information that we had and then what you know Google would, would tell us would be would be complete for this topic. Uh, and we, we wrote this guide and we got a bunch of experts and interviewed them and, 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 and created this piece that essentially if somebody wanted to would walk them through the entire process of, uh, of building a course from scratch. Now, this is where a lot of people might stop because they would say, okay, the problem is solved now. But the reality is not everybody wants to read a 12,000 word guide. And so from that, we created a whole bunch of, kind of tangential articles that if you just wanted to solve a little piece of this problem, you could do because some people aren't ready to jump in. They just want to come up with an idea. They just want to validate their idea. They just want to uh, choose from five different ideas. How do you pick the best one? And so we created little articles around that. We created a webinar that essentially teaches that concept uh, and delivered it in a live format where people can ask questions. We also created uh, nine or 10 YouTube videos that essentially take that same exact framework for building a course and it teaches it over the course of eight or nine different, uh, different YouTube videos. Um, so basically taking that, uh, that solution that you create 
and creating content that looks at that problem through as many different lenses as you possibly can so that you can be as useful to as many different people as you possibly can. So, so many things I want to go back to. Before that, I want to mention something. Mm -hmm. Let's say you don't have customers, talking about interviews, mm -hmm. interview people who use a competitor or an alternative, or interview mm -hmm. people who fit the persona that you want to talk to. It's okay if you don't have customers. So that shouldn't be an excuse. I just wanted to mention that. So what you mentioned then is super important here, and we need to spend time on this. If you identify a big problem, like how to sell your online course, you struggle to do that. That's a big ass problem. That's huge because... If you think about the specificity, you can, as you said, talk about all those mini problems that are part of this biggest problem, like all of the steps you need to take to solve this problem. So the biggest mistake I see online in terms of content, and this is why we started this podcast, by the way, is because it's so fucking non-specific that it hurts, right? So you come up with yeah. a problem and you try to solve it into a 1,200 fucking words on uh, whatever, uh, Forbes.com, how to sell an online course. <laughs> and you just cover each problem with two sentences, and there you go. That's actually the wrong way to go about things, right? And so this is why you had to create a 12,000 words guide to solve one problem, because it's so large that you had to break it down, right? You, just, you can't just solve it with one blog post. Definitely. I mean, it's, it, it would be like if somebody wants to know how to build a car, And you create a blog post that says, okay, step one, uh, build an engine. Then step two is you're going to build the body of the car. And then step three is put all the other pieces in and then you're done. Congratulations, you built the car. Yeah. It's just not useful to anybody. And so this is why the specificity, again, comes back to, and we've done that with Hotjar. I've done that on this podcast. Going specific is what people crave. They want to know how to do it and they don't want to guess anymore. So when you know customers really well, you can truly understand their problem in detail. And when you interview them, you understand their thought process as well, right? You mentioned something I want to touch on again, which is super important, is the, the SEO side of things. You brushed on it, but again, let's go specific. I would agree that if you only do customer interviews, you miss some part of the, of the, of the picture. And SEO, I believe, is not this kind of number or game or whatever. I mean, SEO is purely based on what people actually fucking search in the first place. So yep. if you can match what people tell you and what they actually search, their real behavior, you can start basically have the full painting in front of you. So how do you do that? Like once you have those problems, those common problems that are painful, how do you also make sure that you don't have any gaps on from an SEO perspective in terms of what people actually search? Sure. So there are a few ways that we, we've done this. The first is, I mean, the, the kind of the, the, the most common approach would be to just use, use a tool that helps you do all this research. Um, we really, we, we really love Ahrefs at, uh, at Podio. We use it very, very heavily. Um, they have tools where you can essentially put in a topic and it'll tell you search volume for different long tail keywords around that topic, what different people are actually asking, what different people are actually searching. Uh, there are free tools if you're just getting started that can definitely help you with this. Google has their own, you know, keyword planner where you can put in, put in some topics and, uh, and get some, get some suggested keywords. Um, there's, uh, forget the name of the tool, but there's like an autocomplete tool that you can, uh, put, put a, a search term in and it'll tell you all of the Google auto suggest, uh, phrases yeah. for that, which, which is which a, uh, a big, yeah. And it's, and these tools, I mean, these tools are constantly coming out and constantly changing. And so there's, if you Google like these SEO tools, they're, they're all going to be new by the time this podcast comes out and there's going to be another, another, you know, 50 of them. Um, 
ultimately what we, you know, we did that to start. And then ultimately we ended up actually just hiring an SEO resource to help us do all of this um, because of the, the volume of content that we started producing. But essentially that's all it comes down to is making sure the reason that you do SEOs is not because you want to write content for, you know, just for Google. Ultimately we're writing for humans. What we want is to make sure that, you know, you've interviewed all these customers. What if you had interviewed another 1000 people that were representative of your market, what else would they have told you that you might've missed? Um, that's really why we do SEO research is to, to, to fill in the gaps that we have because we only have limited time to talk to humans. Yeah, that's exactly how I see it as well. So yeah, to go back to the tools, the tool doesn't really matter. Those tools are built for people like you. So let's say you want to search for like selling online course. What happens? You search for it. You know how many people roughly search for it. You know roughly how difficult it is to rank for it. And then you also it gives you suggestions of longer tail keywords, keywords that are longer, but not necessarily, but keywords that are in the longer tail of the of the search volume, which means that they are less search, but they might be more interesting because you can rank faster for them. And so you, the way again I see it is really as a painting that you start putting the the foundations and all of that, but then you need the details to really add and to make it look like a fucking painting and not like a like a draft. So you yes. have that, and with that strategy. Because you repurpose uh, the same problem into many channels, because you you know what people care about, you have content for a long time, right? Uh, probably for six months at least by doing this exercise. Yeah, I mean, we're we've been talking about how to create an online course for a year and a half now, and we're not going to be done anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, so that's what it that's what it takes. You need to just drill down into a problem, talk about it from so many different angles, so many different uh, topics, subtopics longer tail keywords, channels, formats, this way, a lot of things you can do. I, I'm super interested in a, another topic. Uh, I mean, it's very related, but once you know what to write, you might not be a good writer. Like, for example, I'm a shitty writer. I mean, I don't like writing long form stuff. I like writing, you know, copywriting, landing pages. I like that. But longer form, I'm not good at it. So what do you advise people to do in this in this scenario? Uh, should they hire writers? Should they hire freelancers? What worked for you in the past? Uh, so the way that we've we've always done it is in my approach to outsourcing writing has always essentially been find people like you, in your head. You, you might not think of yourself as a good writer. You might not want. You might not even want to do the writing, which is totally fine. But in your head, you probably have a decent idea of what you would love your writing to look like, what you would love your content to look like. It probably has a certain voice. It probably has, it probably looks like a certain brand that you admire. What I would do is find the writing that you love and reach out to the people who wrote it. You can always go on Upwork. You can always go to these, you know, terrible content farms, um, Nothing Upwork is a terrible content farm. I'm just saying there are a lot of terrible content farms. You can always go to Upwork. Um, the deck is usually stacked against you in those cases. It's very, very difficult to find good writers in a sea of really bad writers. And so what I find to be a far more productive approach is finding the people that are already writing the content that you love and sending them an email. Um, you will be surprised at how many writers that you respect and admire, um, even if they have full-time jobs somewhere, will be happy to take on uh, freelance work. Uh, and that's where I would start. Interesting. Yeah, I never really heard of this technique per se. Uh, and that makes total sense, right? You, 
So it sounds like the first step before actually reaching out to people is probably put together what the perfect article looks like for you, in a sense. So the tone of voice, like a sort of a, um, how do you say that? Like a sort of a selection of all the things so that visually you can see how you want your article to look like. Yeah, kind of like a mood board. If you were mood thinking board. about how you want your, uh, yeah, if you were thinking about how you want the design of your site to look, you just kind of go out and find all of the content that you really love. If you just find content that you think, oh man, if this was if this was on our blog, if this writer was on our blog, if this tone was on our blog, this level of depth and richness was on our blog, I would be really, really happy. Um, just put together a list of those, and you'll have a much better idea of what your ideal content looks like, and then you can share that with share that with writers, and 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 they'll have a much better idea of what you're actually expecting of them. So a lot of good writers, freelance writers, might ghostwrite for for people. So you might come up with a good angle. You might do the, all the interview of an expert, mm -hmm. but then someone else would write it for you, and then you will still author it. That's a common practice. How do you do that then, Definitely. when it comes to identifying the ghostwriters, the people behind the scenes? Then, uh, I I would do it the same way. So finding the people that finding the people that you really want to you know, you really want to sound like to find the people that really seem like they can speak to your audience in a way that is compelling and rich and unique. Uh, and then reaching out and say, Hey, I have a, a ghostwriting assignment, um, that, uh, that I'd love to, uh, I'd love to chat with you on. Um, there are also, you know, pretty good agencies out there. There are good agencies out there, um, that can help you depending on what scale you're looking for. Most agencies will want to, uh, work with a, certain volume of, of content to start. If you're just getting started, I would probably go the freelancer route. Um, but eventually you can work up to, to an agency. Agencies are more than always more than happy to take on ghostwriting assignments. Uh, and then from there you can, you can grow that into a you know, full-time in-house person. And how do you, so how does it work for you in Podia at the minute? Um, do you have only in-house writers, freelance writers, a mix of both? Right now, we just uh, we have in-house writers. So we have three full-time content marketers on our staff. One who is kind of the blog editor, and then two uh, writing full-time. Uh, and you know, that's it's working really, 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 really well for us. We didn't hire full-time from the beginning. Um, basically, that first article, we were just testing the channel, and I wrote it. Um, that first kind of create a course guide. After that, we hired um, hired hired an agency to help us produce six pieces a month. And from there, when we proved the channel and said and, and saw that, okay, if we continue to invest in content, um, we're going to continue to grow uh, paying subscribers, it became you know, a no-brainer for us to say, okay, now let's, let's hire somebody in-house and then another person, another person. So yeah, you, you, you kind of scale that by testing the channel using freelancers and contractors, which I think is, is the right thing to do. Before we go into the next steps and maybe diving a little deeper into the hiring writers, type of detail do you feel is there anything that we have not covered in the steps um you're ex using your experience with uh, working with other companies and all of that the, the pitfalls that you see do you feel we've covered pretty much the core steps or is there something you'd like to mention that i haven't asked you yet I think that we've covered the core steps in the content development process. I would love for more people to, to, to do some research and learn more about content promotion because it's incredibly important. And that's probably the biggest pitfall is people creating a bunch of content, even if it's really good content and then not promoting it. But that's also a two hour conversation we can have. Yeah. And maybe we, I can have you on board again to talk about promotion in spe specifically. But since you're mentioning it, then we won't have time to cover it in detail. But if you have to select 
the one thing, the one biggest mistake when it comes to promotion and the best solution for this, what would it be? The biggest mistake people make is really, really low quality promotion. And that can mean a number of different things. Maybe you, uh, perhaps the most common is people say, okay, so I need to do influencer promotion for my content. Um, I need to uh, reach out to a bunch of influencers and get them to promote my content. Um, okay, it sounds good in theory. What it usually looks like in practice is, you know, you spamming a list of a thousand people with the same email um, with maybe a couple of, you know, personalization fields so that you think it looks like a personal um, email. That's a terrible approach to, to promotion and it, and it very rarely actually works. What does typically work um, is putting in the time to build, you know, 10 relationships with influencers rather than a thousand, uh, doing it ahead of time, well before you publish this content and then asking them, uh, you know, during the writing process and saying, Hey, do you have any, do you, would we, there's, here's a draft of, uh, of this article. I know this is a problem that you've worked to solve. Would love to know if you have any input. Um, then when the, when the, when the article is published, sharing it with them and asking for a share, it is in, it is a, a, a tactic that probably takes, to be completely honest, five times as long as the, the, you know, spray and pray approach, but it will deliver 50 times the results. So that's an interesting one that you picked there. Cause I thought you would, you would be talking about SEO and long-term promotion, mm -hmm. but I guess influencer is, is a good step to start. So people that are being trusted by your audience who have expertise and who can share it for you. But now I would challenge you with something though. I mean, I've done mm -hmm. that in the past and all of that involving people and whatever. What I found to be happening most of the time is you get a spike. Yeah, it's cool. You get shares and a few people mentioning it, but then a month after, boom, nothing, you know? So how do you solve that then? So that's, that's, that's a good question and a common issue. Um, I think that the, the, the way that you solve that number one is by really paying attention to that step we talked about before of doing that SEO research and making sure that your content is complete because you won't get feedback. Usually won't get feedback right away when you publish an article from Google that your article is really good, right? It, it takes a while to start ranking for competitive search terms. You're not going to know right away that your article is positioned really well from SEO. And that's why I like this one-on-one -on -one, um, outreach approach because you will get immediate feedback on what I like to think of as kind of the green light metrics, the green light, um, the green light metrics of content, things like post engagement, shares, uh, referral traffic. These are things that a lot of marketers, some, some of those metrics, a lot of marketers think of as quote unquote vanity metrics. And it's true. They don't necessarily have a big long-term impact on the business, but in the very early days, they can tell you that you're onto something. They can tell you that you're moving in the right direction and that, if you make sure that you're following sound SEO practices and continuing to be customer centric and continuing to write good content, that if those green light metrics exist in three months or so, you will pro you can probably expect that organic traffic to start coming your way. Yeah. That's a nice way to think about it. So you, you purposefully understand that for the first three months, you're not going to get a lot of traffic from Google, especially if, as you said, from competitive term. And instead you can rely on, on more qualitative metrics that shows you actually this article solved problems. We sent it to our list. People loved it. Uh, experts contributed to it, said it was really comprehensive. So you have all of those qualitative check lists in front of you before 
putting it into the the organic machine, right? So, I, honestly, I mean, I know things can change in the future, and technology can change, behavior can change. People might do something different, but at the minute, it's pretty clear that people still and will always, I mean, at least in the next five, ten years, search for things, whether it's by voice or text or whatever. It's pretty clear that betting on search engine in terms of a long-term promotion way, like to show people your your content when they search for it, is something that you can rely on. I mean, it's it's the only kind of way to build something long-term that people will find over and over again, um, instead of just this spike of hope um, that you get and then nothing. I made this mistake multiple times, and that's why I know that now we pretty much do at Hotjar, we do that, exactly as you mentioned. We have a few people that we trust. We, we interview them sometimes so that they can write an article for mm. us. We do roundups sometimes, but are not shitty roundups. We actually ask them to contribute in depth. We ask them for feedback. And then we share it with our list and we can have a feel that, ah, this article is tracking a chord. And because we do our research on the SEO, what people search and what their problems are, it usually starts to show up after depending. Sometimes a week, sometimes three months, sometimes nine months, but it shows up. Um, Len, thank you so much for going through this process with me. I've learned a lot from you. I know the listeners will have as well. I have three questions to ask you before I let you go. Sure. Uh, the first one being, what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? Uh, I think um, focus. Uh, there are going to be more and more and more and more tools that are going to promise to supercharge your marketing. There are going to be more and more and more platforms that claim to be the best place to advertise. Uh, there are going to be more and more and more marketing tactics that get written up. You know, it used to be really cool to write an article with seven marketing tactics. And then that number became 17 and then 27. And now you know, to rank for marketing tactics list, you, you need like 30 or more marketing tactics. Right? There are never going to be fewer shiny objects than there are today. I think a really important skill for marketers is going to be to think very critically about their overall strategy, to plan very thoughtfully uh, for executing on the tactics that they've decided are worth trying. And when you learn what works, to be super, super focused about trying to do an amazing job of executing on what works without being distracted by the thousand things that everybody is always going to be talking about. Yeah, amen to that. I would say a way to really understand what is the shiny object that you need to ignore and focus on what's right is, again, to start with your customers. Like This is the best way to really get clarity really quickly. If you start from the customer and then you decide what to do next, you, you will know, you will remember this conversation, you will remember this research, and you'll know what to focus on. And, and so this is why strategy is important, right? Like the, the real sense of strategy. Uh, there's a good book about, about it called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy, that tells you what is a strategy. Um, and, you know, it's three steps. First one, you, you do a diagnosis of the situation. What are the problems we want to solve? Second step, you have a guiding policy. This is where we're going to go. Third step is the action plan. That's what a strategy is, not any fluffy fucking uh, blog that tells you, you know, 18 strategy, marketing strategies to win to get more customers. Those are not strategies. There are tactics, but those are not strategies. Uh, so thanks for this answer. Uh, I completely agree with you, as you can see. Uh, maybe on the back of that, then, uh, what are the top three 
resources you'd recommend listeners today? It could be anything from a podcast, book, events, whatever. Yeah, I, I, I love that 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 take on on shiny objects too. By the way, um, the so the first one I'd, I'd mentioned I've mentioned already is the Ahrefs blog. I think if you do content marketing at all um, and you don't read their blog, you you should. Uh, they just do an extraordinary job breaking down SEO concepts for blogging, YouTube, podcasting, everything. Uh, the second would be uh, I would. Uh, and my favorite new marketing resource that's come out in the uh, in the last couple of years is Forget the Funnel. Uh, so Claire and Gia are both exceptionally accomplished SaaS marketers, and uh, and Forget the Funnel is their site where they have these these workshops with other marketers. Um, you and I have both run workshops on there, and there are many, many, many other videos that are incredibly useful for tech marketers. And the third would be. Uh, I really like Startup School by Y Combinator. They have a, uh, it's, this, it's this entirely free library of video courses, video content. Um, it's at startupschool.org slash library. And they just have some incredible marketing. It's, it's really for all startup related topics, but they have some really incredible growth and marketing content from uh, Gustav Alstromer, who was one of the lead growth people at Airbnb, um, a bunch of other people. Uh, two videos I would look for on there. There's one called Laying the Foundation for Sustainable Growth, which is really excellent. And then another follow-on video called Scaling Growth. I uh, highly recommend both of those. Yeah, and the three examples you gave are, are a fantastic example of what good content marketing is, right? You mentioned those those resources naturally because you know it's they're the best in the business because they help you solve problems that you have. And again, great example of, of, of content marketing, particularly the HREF blog, Forget the Funnel. The Y Combinator resource, I've been a while since I've listened to those, to those or watched these videos, but yeah, I can concur on all of three. Thank you so much. So Len, thank you so much once again for your time. Really appreciate how you broke down everything for us today. Uh, if people are interested and want to ask you a question, um, where can they connect with you? Sure. The easiest place is on Twitter. I'm just at Len Marketing on Twitter. Love to, uh, love to chat with folks and then. Obviously, I'm I'm always on uh, I'm always on Podi at Podi.com. And all of the stuff that you said will be mentioned in the show notes, obviously, of this episode. Uh, if you don't know how to spell uh, Len Marketing, you you find it in there as well. But perhaps you can spell your last name out loud. <laughs> sure thing. Yep, it's just uh, at Len Marketing. It's L E N M A R K I D A N Marketing. <sighs> Sounds of marketing a bit like this really clever branding, maybe. It's a little close, yeah. It's a little too close. <laughs> right. Once again, thank you so much, Len. Thank you, Louis. It was a pleasure. That's it for another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, and this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode. I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a as a one to one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks. I would say we I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get, and I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests, and perhaps I can also. Uh, have you on the show uh, someday so don't be afraid to subscribe I'm not going to spam you and you can always unsubscribe for sure if you wish the second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback we know that this show is not perfect yet and we always 
uh, can improve. So you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com. Good or bad, please feel free to send me an email. And the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode, please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.